Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you this week from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Christina Darnell in for Natasha Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, we look at an innovative Bible translation process coming from the African nation of Chad. We have new developments on a story that we've been covering for several months, the story of the campus group Chi Alpha, which is associated with the Assemblies of God denomination. It's been racked by scandal, and there are new developments. We begin today with news from the Southern Baptist Convention. Nearly 13,000 members of the nation's largest Protestant denomination traveled from around the country to New Orleans this week for the 2023 annual meeting, and a lot happened. We'll hit on some of those key issues. Warren, let's start with the SBC presidential election. Yeah, that's a good place to start. On Tuesday, the Southern Baptist local church representatives, known as Messengers, re-elected Texas Pastor Bart Barber uh, to a second year in office. Barber beat out Georgia Baptist Pastor Mike Stone. Barber had 68% of the votes, more than 7,500 votes. Stone, who is a more conservative challenger, received about 31% of the vote. This was the first time in a decade that a sitting SBC president had faced a challenge, and only the second time since the late 1980s. Yeah, that's right. The SBC president is an unpaid role, and usually that second year is just kind of expected. Uh, He oversees the annual meeting and promotes the SBC's mission and beliefs. He is elected to only one-year terms, but as I said, generally they run unopposed for that second term. Barber, who pastors a church of a relatively modest size, was an unlikely candidate for president when he first ran in 2022. At the time, he was mostly known for his quirky Twitter videos and an uncommon expertise when it came to SBC governance. He had also played a key role on the board that ousted SBC legend Paige Patterson from his role as president at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Texas, about which we'll have more news later in the podcast. Now, Mike Stone, on the other hand, has close ties with the conservative Baptist Network, which has criticized current SBC leadership and claims that the denomination has become too liberal. During a series of campaign events, Stone cited rising legal costs due to dealing with the SBC's sexual abuse crisis that he says has reduced the reserves of the SBC's executive committee. And then citing an executive committee auditor, he said those costs were, quote, unsustainable. Still, after Barber was reelected this week, Stone congratulated him on Twitter saying, may God continue to grace you with wisdom, discernment, and strength. That will continue to be my prayer for you as you lead. But that's not the only news coming out of the annual meeting this week. The next has to do with Saddleback, the California church founded by best-selling author Rick Warren. Delegates to the annual meeting reaffirmed a decision to expel two Southern Baptist churches, and one of them was Rick Warren's Saddleback Church in Orange County, California, because they employed women as pastors. The churches had appealed to the meeting, the denomination's ruling body, to be allowed to remain. But both churches had their appeals denied, and it was by a strong majority of the delegates. 
It was a strong vote. The body affirmed the ouster of Saddleback uh, by a vote of 9,432 to just 1,212. So an overwhelming majority, more about somewhere around 90%. The vote uh, went against Fern Creek Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky as well. Uh, that vote was even more lopsided, 9,700 to 806. A third church, Freedom Church in Vero Beach, Florida, was also voted out after the SPC's Credentials Committee had recommended it be expelled for its lack of intent to cooperate in resolving concerns regarding a sexual abuse allegation. After the drama of Tuesday's session at the annual meeting, uh, when representatives of the church were given three minutes to appeal the decisions made by the SPC's Executive Committee earlier this year, the announcement of the vote totals on Wednesday was greeted as kind of an anticlimactic event, muted applause, but mostly silence from the meeting floor. In part because of the Saddleback controversy, Southern Baptists also took the first steps to change the organization's constitution to explicitly state that only men can be any kind of pastor or elder within the denomination. The wording which must be approved two years in a row would be added to an article of the Constitution that describes the way churches can be in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, which the current Constitution defines as churches that agree with the SBC Statement of Faith, contribute to its funding program or entities, and don't discriminate on the basis of ethnicity, and don't condone sexual abuse. Right now, the Baptist faith and message states, while both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. Baptists have differed over whether that faith statement currently refers to barring women from all pastoral roles or only serving in the role of senior pastor. Let's look at one more story from this week's SBC meeting before we move on. Southern Baptists reaffirmed their commitment to abuse reforms. For more than a decade, Southern Baptists called for their leaders to set up a database to track abusive pastors, hoping to stop abusers from preying on one church after another. But in the past, their leaders said creating such a list was impossible. Now, that changed this week as leaders of the SBC's Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force unveiled a ministry check website on Wednesday, June 14th, as part of their report to the convention's annual meeting. The website was a part of a series of abuse reforms passed last year by Southern Baptists. In the wake of an investigation that found SBC leaders had mistreated abuse survivors for years, and sought to block any attempts to address the issue of abuse on a national level. And getting that website off the ground was something of a historic event, said Heather Evans, a social worker and a member of the task force charged with implementing the reforms. They told us for years and years that this could not be done, she said during a press conference on Wednesday. Now, the website is still a work in progress. It works, but names to be added to the site are still being vetted. Those names will include leaders from three categories. Those convicted of abuse, 
those who have confessed to abuse, and those who have had a legal judgment against them for abuse. Now, last year, Messengers added a fourth category, those credibly accused of abuse. We're going to leave the annual meeting of the SBC behind for this week, though we're not finished with the Southern Baptist Convention itself. A new report from trustees at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, that's in Fort Worth, Texas, details two decades of fiscal mismanagement, and that includes a $140 million operating deficit. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll have more on this story after a break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Next up, the story we promised before the break. It's the story of spending excesses at the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. According to an overview of the seminary's finances released on Wednesday, June 7th, Southwestern ran an average deficit of $6.67 million per year for a 20-year period from 2002 to 2022. During that time, the number of full-time Southern Baptist students at the school dropped by two-thirds, while expenses went up by a third. Overall, the school's enrollment declined from the equivalent of more than 2,100 full-time students in 2003 to only about 1,100 full-time students in the fall of 2022. That, according to data from the Association of Theological Schools, the ATC counts full-time equivalents using a slightly different standard than Southern Baptist seminaries themselves. To offset that deficit, the school spent from its reserves and took distributions from its endowment. Much of the overspending occurred during the tenure of Paige Patterson, who was president of Southwestern from 2003 until 2018, when he was fired for allegedly mishandling sexual abuse at the school. The report, however, does not detail any of the spending patterns during Patterson's tenure. Instead, the report included a few select details from the president that succeeded Patterson, President Adam Greenway, who himself resigned in 2022 after less than four years in the office. And then according to the report, as Ministry Watch reported last week, Greenway spent more than $1.5 million on the on-campus presidential home, and that includes renovations and furnishings. 
That included an espresso machine that cost more than $11,000 and about $60,000 for Christmas decorations and $25,000 for artwork. The report also said that Greenway spent nearly $10,000 on first-class air tickets to fly him and his family to last year's SBC annual meeting and spent about $920 on a Florida Gator head decoration. Greenway, we should note, is a fan of the Florida Gators football team. Warren, let's leave the Southern Baptists behind for now and move on to other stories. One of the other stories we've covered this week is one about Bible translation, which is a topic that Ministry Watch has been covering closely for the past few years. A recent Bible translation project in the African country of Chad has resulted in the conversion of Muslims to Christianity, according to Christianity Today. And these Muslims were not those that read the Bible after it was translated, but these, in fact, were Muslims who were part of the translation team itself. Unfolding Word is the American organization that partnered with the Church Growth Project of Chad, known by its French acronym PCET, and it's translating the Bible into that country's minority languages. So PCET recruited translators through informational workshops, and they were clear that the materials were Christian, um, but Muslims attended, and partly at least because they were interested in the pay. But the Chadian people who thought the project affirmed the value and significance of their native languages wanted to be a part of it. Uh, Many of those native cultures had not been represented in written works. Unfolding Word generally starts with about 50 Bible stories to familiarize translators with biblical content before they translate individual scriptural passages. The stories captivated the attention of some of the Muslim translators, and they are similar in some ways to those that are in the Quran. They differ in significant ways and raised questions for these Muslim translators who were then eager to discuss them. Two of the Muslim translators converted to Christianity through the translation process, and then others have turned to Christ as well, including some Muslim leaders. In one village, for example, a PCET team prayed for the village chief who was very ill. He recovered, committed his life to Christ, and then began urging his village to listen and consider the team's message. In another community, PCET presented audio portions of the translation, and the local Christian missionary there saw conversions among the community members and performed about 10 baptisms not long afterwards. The translation project, by the way, began in 2018, but was interrupted by civil unrest in that country, including the assassination of the country's president in 2021. Unfolding Word argues that the accuracy of the biblical translations can be achieved while using non-believing natives who learn from the scriptures as they carry out the work. Translations endure multiple checks, first by other team members, then by the team as a whole, and then finally by pastors who check for theological errors. 
Unfolding Word says this method, along with the traditional method of experts learning a language and completing a translation, both have a place in kingdom work, but that this process is typically the one that they've pioneered with PCET is typically much faster because they're already using native speakers. Unfolding Word, by the way, has four stars out of five from Ministry Watch as part of our financial efficiency rating and an A transparency grade. By the way, the donor confidence score of 100 is the highest score we give. That means that donors can give with confidence. Our next story is an update on one that we've been following now for several months. We have. It's uh, the story of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and they have a church in Ketchikan, Alaska, uh, that was connected to a convicted sex offender and former Chi Alpha leader, Daniel Savala. Uh, He's been charged with sexually abusing a minor. Now, the Ketchikan official is named Chris John. He's 71 years old. He served on the governing board of Clover Pass Community Church there. He now faces 14 charges of first, second, and third degree sexual abuse of a minor and three related Class C felony charges. Now, Clover Pass is the same church where Savala served as a youth leader from 1995 to 1997. And then Savala has been identified now as the, quote, spiritual mentor of that former Chi Alpha minister who's charged with sexual abuse of a child in Texas. We've been covering Chi Alpha World Fellowship for quite a while now. It is a network of Christian ministries associated with the Assemblies of God, and they have a presence on about 300 college campuses in this country. Savala pleaded guilty to one charge of third-degree sexual assault of a minor in Ketchikan back in 2012 and was sentenced to two years in prison with all but 90 days of the sentence suspended. He went on to serve with several Chi Alpha Ministries chapters in Texas. Warren, let's look at one more story before we take another break. A new survey found that most churches in the country have some type of security measures in place during worship services. Pastors point to intentional plans and armed church members more than any other measures. But compared to three years ago, fewer say that they have plans and more say that they have gun-carrying congregants. In terms of security practices, pastors are most likely to say that their congregations have an intentional plan for an active shooter situation. About 57% say they have a plan in place for that. Additionally, most churches, 54%, say that they have armed church members uh, and that they are there just in case something should happen. About 5% of churches have uniformed police officers on church grounds, and 1% of churches say they have metal detectors that screen for weapons. We're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Christina Darnell with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. 
Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. So what do you have first? Well, last week in Spokane, Washington, the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination voted to ordain women as pastors. The vote was fairly close. 60% of the denomination's delegates were supportive of the measure. And the issue has been debated within the CMA for four years now. It has. The delegates affirmed that both men and women can carry the title of pastor or reverend at the discretion of the local church congregation if they have met the required qualifications and completed the consecration and ordination process outlined in the manual of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Only men can serve as elders and lead pastors. Before this decision, women in the denomination were what is called consecrated, but not ordained and did not use the title of pastor. Prison Fellowship Ministries, which is the ministry founded by the late Chuck Colson, announced they had provided more than a million Bibles to the incarcerated since 2019. Yeah, anyone who's worked in prison ministry has heard testimonies of men and women who came to faith in Christ while reading scriptures alone in their prison cells. And that's why Prison Fellowship initiated this ministry. Prior to 2019, Prison Fellowship distributed an average of five to 6,000 Bibles annually. But since then, it sent an average of more than 250,000 Bibles each year. A prison fellowship survey of prison chaplains found that most prisoners do not have easy access to their own Bible. Prisons and jails typically reject parcels mailed from individuals or unknown organizations. When Bibles are available, they are often too difficult to read, either because of small font sizes that are too small for an aging prison population, or because about half of adults incarcerated in U.S. federal and state prisons can't read or write well enough to read the Bible. Less than half have an eighth grade education. So Prison Fellowship's simple but practical solution was to create an online store for prison chaplains called The Storehouse. And chaplains who register on the site can order Bibles, books, DVDs, and other resources for free. Among the offerings, large print versions of the Life Recovery Bible in both English and Spanish. Now, the Life Recovery Bible has study notes designed for people dealing with addictions, which, of course, makes up a whole lot of the prison population. Warren, we often close the show with some quick notes about some of our regular weekly features. So let's start with the ministry spotlight. That's a good place to start. Uh, Former combat veterans have started an organization called Mighty Oaks Foundation. They started it in 2020. 
12 to help returning military combat veterans and first responders deal with trauma through a Christ-centered approach. The aim of Mighty Oaks is to provide hope and spiritual and psychological freedom to combat veterans and first responders. Uh, Mighty Oaks works to save lives, restore families, and change legacies for eternity through non-clinical faith-based recovery programs. The Mighty Oaks Foundation is a new addition to the Ministry Watch database, by the way. It has revenue of more than $9 million. It also has a donor confidence score of 96, which is one of our top scores, and indicates that you can give to this group with confidence. And then who did we feature in our Ministries Making a Difference this week? Well, on Friday, Samaritan's Purse airlifted more than 40,000 pounds of relief supplies in a DC-8 cargo plane to suffering people in Ukraine following the collapse of a crucial dam in the Kyrgyzstan region. Supplies include blankets, water filters, hygiene kits, and a whole lot more. Samaritan's Purse has two stars from Ministry Watch, as well as an A transparency grade and a donor confidence score of 60. Now, Christina, the Ministries Making a Difference column is your column. It's the one you do each week. So uh, I was often surprised by what you turn up myself whenever I read the column when you turn it in. And this week, there was one item that was a particular surprise to me. Yes, there is a pastor in Henderson, Nevada, who offers a unique service to members of his community free of charge. He catches and removes rattlesnakes found in people's yards. And Tim McNello is a pastor of Mosaic Church, and he is an experienced snake wrangler. And he says this is just one of the creative ministries his church has found to serve their community. Yeah, boy, that would if I had a rattlesnake in my yard, a snake wrangler is who I would want to turn to, no doubt. I wouldn't want to mess with that myself. E3 Partners and Mission Upreach's Espero School for Deaf Adults in Honduras also made the Ministries Making a Difference column this week. You can read the entire column by going to the Ministry Watch website. It's right on the front page, or you can just check our daily emails. Any final thoughts before we go? Well, I do want to mention again that this is our 25th anniversary year, and Rusty and Carol Leonard, who founded Ministry Watch in June of 1998, uh, sat down with me and, and did an interview. It's available now on our podcast and also on our uh, website. I hope you'll listen to it. I think you'll be blessed by what Rusty and Carol have to say. They're extraordinary people with a great uh, vision for uh, the Ministry Watch uh, ministry, especially, um, I think, uh, in those early days where it really took a lot of vision, uh, their story is really worth listening to. Also, a reminder that I'll be doing lunches for readers and donors in Colorado Springs, where I am this week and next, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Los Angeles, California, all in the month of June, in part to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Ministry Watch. So keep an eye on your inbox if you live in these areas for invitations to these events. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen Duberry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Seteth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Emily McFarland Miller, Aaron Earls, Ann Stike, Steve Raby, Kim Roberts, Adele Banks, Bob Smetana, and Rod Pitzer. 
and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.